This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, we are closing out a three-part series for parents navigating relationships with their wayward or prodigal children. The final guest in this series is Rob Parsons. Rob points out that our prodigal children are often not as far from God as we think. And then he gives a few reasons why that is true. He also challenges us to be intentional and frequent in pouring out praise and affirmation on the wonderful ways we witness our children love and serve others. Rob is the founder of Care for the Family and author of more than 20 books, including Bringing Home the Prodigals. Rob is a phenomenal storyteller and communicator, so I have no doubt you'll enjoy our conversation today. With that said, will you share it with your friends? You can also listen and share the previous two episodes in this series with Lane Lawson Craft and Mary DeMuth by clicking the link in the show notes. Good afternoon to you, Rob. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Oh, thanks, Amber. It's lovely to be with you. I always love it when I have anyone from across the pond on the show, and I'm sure you hear it all the time, but it's just a delight to hear your accent. <laughs> well, people say that. I, <laughs> the thing about your accent is you can't you can't recognize it yourself, can you? That's the problem. Yeah. I know when Rebecca McLaughlin was on the show, she said the exact same thing. She's like, I've heard that a few times, but to me, it just sounds normal, you know? <laughs> So thank you again for being here. I love to start uh, my show by asking, how did you come to know Jesus early on? Like, how did you first begin to walk with him? Well, my, my, neither of my parents went to church, but we lived in a tiny little terraced home in Wales in the United Kingdom. It didn't have an inside bathroom. It didn't have running hot water. Mm. It didn't have uh, an inside toilet. And on the corner of that street was a little gospel hall and in that gospel hall was a Sunday school teacher called Miss Williams and one day Miss Williams knocked on every door in our little street and asked her every adult who opened that door the same question would any boys or girls like to come to Sunday school and my mother said he'd like to go <laughs> I was four years old and she took me by the hand and led me down the road and into Sunday school and and it was in that little gospel hall when I was just young, uh, 10, 12 years old, I remember mm. asking the Lord Jesus to come into my life. And 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 so Miss Williams really just changed my life. This little Sunday school teacher, she never did get married, she never had children of her own, but she had thousands of children wow. and we loved her. Yeah. Oh. So that's how it happened. Oh my goodness. How long was, I mean, do you remember how long you went to this little gospel house and was with her? Yeah, I mean, you know, we love Miss Williams for three reasons. Number one, once a month, she invited us for tea in her home. That was a big deal. And then secondly, she used to give us stickers if we turned up for class. And 
and we'd put them in a little book and the next day in school we'd swap them a, a rare Jesus in the water for a common feeding of the 5,000. But most of all, we loved her for her stories. She was a mm. wonderful storyteller. Our favourite was David and Goliath because we all had a bully in school. We'd like yeah. to capitate <laughs> Do you know, recently, Amber, they asked me to speak at the 100th anniversary of that little church. As I was leaving, somebody pulled my coat and a voice said, do you remember me? It was Miss Williams. I thought she was 110 when she came to get me when I was four. I only <laughs> just stopped myself saying, you're still alive. But she was incredible. And um, yeah, she, she changed. Oh, my she, goodness. She used to take us little boys and girls aside about once a month. And she would say, boys and girls, I want to say something to you. Number one, I want you to know you are special to your mother and your father. And I want you to know you are very special to me. But most mm -hmm. of all, I want you to always remember you are special to God. What a thing, Amber, to send a kid into a world with. And so, uh, yeah, Miss Williams, incredible. Yeah. Wow, what a testimony. I mean, just simple faithfulness. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. Day and in and day out. Know. You'll never know, you know. We've had the chance of touching the lives of millions of people around the world, and they've never heard of Miss Williams, but without Miss Williams. Mm. That's powerful. That's powerful. Well, we are here today to talk a little bit about prodigal children and the way parents feel about that and just some of the emotions and healthy and unhealthy that come along with that. And so I want to ask you, how did you originally, like, how did this idea to start writing and talking about prodigals come about? Well, Amber, it was probably about uh, 20 odd years ago. And I was asked to speak, to bring a message to a day of prayer in the United Kingdom uh, at the National Exhibition Center, about 5,000 people. And so I prepared a message on, on prodigals. Uh, but they'd erected a huge cross at the front of the auditorium, and they'd given people small pieces of card and asked them during the day to write the first name of a prodigal on the card and, and mm. bring it and lay it at the foot of the cross for prayer. And during the day, people brought the names of uh, husbands, wives, uh, friends, brothers, sisters, sometimes in a strange reverse of the parable, mothers and fathers, but mostly children. Mm -hmm. I watched old people support each other as they brought the names of their children, sometimes kissing the card before they put it at the foot of the cross. And, and after about an hour, the organizers asked me to leave the stage and go stand by the cross and pray with people. But Amber, by the time I get there, there are thousands of names there. They're spilling off the little table at the foot of the cross and onto the floor. It seems the pain of the world is at the foot of that cross. Mm. Now, I have two children, and I thank God for what's happened in their lives. But I remember then laying Katie's name at the foot of the cross and Lloyd's name at the foot of the cross. And then I started to cry. And I never did get to preach the message that I had in my pocket that I prepared. But God laid a message about prodigals on my heart that day that eventually came out in a book called Bringing Home the Prodigals and led to us taking that event all around the world. I preached that sermon in concert halls in New York and in jungles in Uganda. Um, so, yeah, that but that's how it began that, that day of prayer for prodigals. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? 
Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, and something that you speak a lot about in this message is the guilt that parents often experience and how that has to be laid down and how often it's displaced guilt. Will you expound on that a bit? You know, Amber, somebody once said that parenting is 50% fear and 50% guilt. Mm. And sometimes I think that's a little light on the guilt side. It's easy to feel guilty as as parents. We say, you know, where did we go wrong? If only we'd done. And I hear it from all sides. I hear if only we'd had more daily devotions with our children. I hear some parents say, if only do you think we had too many devotions yeah. with them? Push the faith on them too much. If only we'd made them come to church. If only we hadn't made them come to church. If all those if onlys. And you know what? We've most of us as parents, we've tried to give this our very best shot. And I thank God for where my kids are now, but but there have been plenty of tears. Mm. And you know the truth is, even God has trouble with his children. Adam and Eve had the perfect father mm-hmm. and the perfect environment. You don't get any better than that. But they went away, their father didn't want them to go. Now look, I know there's that verse in the book of Proverbs: bring up a child and the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. But it's not a guarantee. Mm -mm. It's a general principle. Most of the Bible is God, the perfect parent, saying to his children, how come you went away? I didn't want you to go. Mm. And so sometimes as parents, we have to say, well, we probably did get things wrong. But, you know, I think, Amber, sometimes if we could rewind it all and do it again, we may just make different mistakes. But whatever happens, we have to lay down the guilt. And God knows. And and there's a lovely verse tucked away in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. He says, I can give you back the years, the locusts. Okay, the, the whole point of the gospel is not that we can do anything about yesterday. We can't change it. But, but tomorrow doesn't have to be like yesterday. And our attitudes to guilt will affect the way we deal with our prodigal. So if possible, we we need to lay it down, I think. Mm. So when you say our attitudes of guilt can impact the way we deal with our prodigals, what are some of the things that you see when we parent out of a place of guilt in that realm? One of the things we, we feel is that, especially with grown children, adult children, we feel that there's something that we can do about this. We ought to be able to do something about this. We feel guilty. <laughs> so so if we drag them along to hear that preacher, and the problem with taking people to hear great preachers is on the day you take somebody, the preacher's at a disaster. That's the problem. That's almost a universal law. Um, <laughs> or if I send them this book, or I do this, or I do that, and and those things may not be bad. They could 
but ultimately we have to bring our children to God. Mm. And every parent needs somebody else to come into our children's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that will that will have an effect on them. It's too, it's too big a job for one set of uh, one set of shoulders. And the other thing I think we need to realize is this. Many of our prodigals are not quite so far from God as we think. Yeah. They're a million miles from our own particular Christian culture, but that never was the big that never was the big deal. I've had many, many conversations with parents all around the world. Uh, and pretty similar would be a conversation like this. Uh, parents come up to me and they say, uh, my daughter's a prodigal. I say, oh, I'm sorry. How old is your daughter? She's 23 years old. Oh, um, and she doesn't go to church now. Oh, right. And where does she live? She lives in a town 100 miles from us. So uh, tell me about your daughter. Is she a good friend? Is she an incredible friend? Uh, it, does she care for the poor at all? She's got a good Oh, she's got a wonderful heart. In fact, she helps in a, in a homeless center once a week. Oh, uh, do you think your daughter ever prays? Do you know, I think she does. And I say, mm. well, she's not doing too badly, is she? And they say, but she's not going to church. Now, listen, I don't like it when Christian leaders don't go to church. I'm in my local church almost every Sunday morning, but it's not the whole nine yards. That's right. It's true. Jesus said at the end of time, it will matter that I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. All of that stuff. And sometimes our problems are good at that, but we're so busy ticking all these other boxes. Mm. We forget to commend them when they're doing well. And I said, I would love you to ring your daughter up tonight and say, darling, we were just telling a preacher about you, how you so faithfully work with the homeless, and we're so proud of you. And, and I know you're not sure about your faith, but God is pleased with you doing that. And sometimes wow. when we begin to look like that and stop looking over our shoulder at what other people are making of our parenting, we find a fresh release. Ah, oh, yeah, that'll speak even to me. <laughs> because it is true. I think that we see we want to visibly see what we think is godliness. And the reality is, is that there are plenty of people going to church every week who are just as equally as far from God as we think our own children are. The problem is half the prodigals are still in the pews. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, a man has two sons. The one is a so-called prodigal and leaves and goes off to <clears throat> live somewhere found a mass home. The other stays in the church. He's part of the diaconate, but he's a difficult man. He's bitter. He yeah. gives the church leader a tough time. He's unforgiving. And the other one doesn't go to church, but, he, but he's got a good heart and he cares for people. And he, Well, which is the prodigal? Well, both. And both need to come home. Do you know what I've discovered? And again, I must emphasize this. I believe in the local church. I'm there almost yeah. every Sunday morning. But if, if you've got kids and your child goes to church on a Sunday morning and perhaps the one midweek meeting, that gives most parents the right to say, yeah, they're fine. They're going on with God. But that's all. I mean, are they, are they forgiving? Are they gracious? Are they kind? Have they got big hearts? Do they care for the poor? These things matter as well. And sometimes we have made kids young people feel prodigals who never were prodigals at all mm. do you know uh if you have two kids you will have chalk and cheese that's a universal <laughs> law that's 
annoying if the first one is compliant because that's what lures you into having the second one because you think you're a great parent. <laughs> the truth is, you just got lucky the first time. And I, my first child, Katie, was compliant. Uh, she used to sit in church and and people would say to me when she was a teenager, oh, isn't your daughter spiritual? I, I noticed she was taking notes as the preacher was speaking. Mm, well, I've Katie heard that. Used to take notes at everything. Katie would take notes if a bus went past. Lloyd couldn't sit still. He just couldn't sit still. And you know what happens with some kids? They, they're 14 years old and 14 year old boys don't like reading much often. And they don't like singing and they don't like listening to lectures and they don't like sitting still. And we say, we want you to come to church and now you've got to sing a lot and read a lot and sit still. And when they're 16, they stop coming and we call them prodigals. But half of them just couldn't sit still. Mm. God looks at their heart. Wow. That's what Amen. Those same kids that couldn't sit still are the first to visit their friend when he's in hospital and they, they've got big hearts. So we just need to alter our frame a little. And Jesus did this all the time. Two men go up to the temple to pray. And one says, Heavenly Father, I'm glad I'm not like him. And the other one says, be merciful to me, a sinner, which is justified by God. God looks at things differently. Yeah. Oh, he does. He judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, doesn't he? So tell me this for someone like me. I am a parent of an almost 14-year-old boy and of an eight-year-old boy, and one is very compliant and the other one can't sit still. <laughs> and then I also have an 11-year-old girl. And I know myself and friends who are parents, we can get ourselves so worked up and worried about what you've already talked about. Or we have a husband that's not as involved with our children. And so there's that fear that they're missing out on that and they're never going to follow God. Mm. Talk to us about that. I know that prayer is huge. I just want to hear what you have to say to that. Well, we need each other in this. We need so good true. friends in this. But we, we need people who have got vulnerable hearts. Mm. We don't need friends who's got, who've got four kids. And the first thing they say to you is, well, all my kids are following Jesus. If only you did more of this, yours would be the same. We don't need to go on a holiday with people like that. We need people who have, even if their kids are doing well, they've got soft hearts. And we need each other and we need to pray each other. My wife met regularly with another mum and just prayed for our kids week after week mm. after week after week. And, 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 you know, Amber, it is important, the role of fathers, and it is important that we encourage them to church. And so and all that stuff is really, really important. But over and above all of that is the work of God. Mm. And he can touch lives that in a way that we could never imagine. So on the one hand, we, we have to, I think it's important to, to spend time with our kids, to pray with them, those little, everything counts when they're small. When they're little, do those little prayers before they go to sleep. You know, you know my daughter is um, 46 years old now. And so mm. she's got two boys. And about uh, nine years ago, she went into hospital for a routine operation that went badly wrong. So Katie's life hung in the balance for several weeks. And she had a little boy then of about uh, six months old. And she had Harry he was about four and uh, the little baby was with somebody and dad used to sit with Harry often in the nights. And I'd go in and I'd sit with Katie in the nights and I'd hold her hand. Uh, tubes come out of every part of her body. And one night she woke up and, and I was holding her hand 
And she said, Daddy, could, could we pray together? And I prayed a little prayer with her that we used to say when she was a child. We held hands in the hospital ward. Lord, keep us safe this night, secure from all our fears. May angels guard us while we sleep till morning light appears. And suddenly down the decades came that old prayer. And I'll tell you what I do believe. I know there are no guarantees, but I believe every Bible verse, every song we sing, every act of kindness we put into our children's lives, every time they see us be kind to others, even in secret, we put something into their lives, which is very deep. Mm. So when you think about the way that we view or the way that we interact with our kids who maybe are struggling um, sincerely, maybe they're not the kind that who have a good heart or I, I, maybe I shouldn't say that, but we're not seeing anything. No. How do you encourage those parents to love and serve well? Because that's hard, right? Shortly after I wrote the book, Bringing Home the Prodigals, a woman wrote to me. She said, my daughter left when she was uh, 18 years old. She turned her back on us and on God completely. She didn't want to know God. She didn't want to know us. She said, mm. we didn't see her for four years. We didn't know whether she was alive or dead. And as I put the lights out at night in our home, I would say to my husband, leave the porch light on. And at Christmas, I'd put a little Christmas tree outside the front door as we used to when she was a child. When my daughter came back at 22 years old, both to us and to God, she said, Mom, I was too ashamed to come home. Yeah. But I often wanted to come home. And some nights I'd sit in my car in our street in the darkness, one or two o'clock in the morning, and every house would be dark apart from our house. I knew the little light was for me. And some Christmases I'd sit down and look at the Christmas tree and I knew you'd put it there for me. And I've said to parents all over the world, don't ever give up hope. Keep on praying. Always leave a light on. Some of our kids will be prodigals. They will turn their back adamantly on us and on God. But then we come to the sheer power of prayer. And ultimately, Amber, prayer is all we've got. You know, we think we're in control in life, and but we're not. We're not. <laughs> ultimately, prayer is all we've got. And, and God knows our kids uh, more than we do. He loves them more than we do. He knows actually where they are, not just in their hearts. But I'll tell you something. Imagine a parent has two kids and uh, one is very compliant and they go to church a lot and the other is a few years younger, perhaps, and they're a prodigal. Trust me, that second child knows that they're a disappointment to their parents. They understand that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as they get older into their 20s and 30s, that continues. Uh, the black sheep of the family sometimes becomes a little tag that, that they get, get used to. And if we're not careful, that happens more easily because when they're young, the testing one is always the one getting yelled at. Um, uh, don't do that. Why, why are you there? Don't hit yeah. your sister. And and none of us can live where we always have something negative. Uh, if the ear never hears praise, the heart loses the will to try. Mm -hmm. I, I had supper with a businessman some time ago, and he said to me, um, uh, he was telling me about his family. I said, tell me about your kids. He said, I've got a girl of 28. She's doing a PhD. Got another girl of 24. She's doing a, a master's. And then he picked up his knife from fork and started eating. I said, tell me about your third child. Oh, he said, he's 19. He's dyslexic. His, his bedroom is a mess. He doesn't get his college working on time. He gets car parking fines if he gets to pay them. And I tell him, you better sharpen up, son. It's a tough world out there. I said, sir, 
Can you remember when you last praised that boy for anything at all? He said, I, I really can't. I said, what's he good at? I said, he's an incredible, he said, he's an incredible musician. I said, when you go home tonight, praise him. Tell him you were telling somebody over dinner about him. Praise him. And, and sometimes with our testing kids, even our very rebellious ones, they're on drugs. They turn. The, even there, sometimes we have to find something small. We can just say, well, I, when you did that, well done. Well, most human beings have something in them we can find. That, and, and, and you know what? When that begins to change everything, the book of Proverbs says our words have the power of life and death. The power of words in our kids' lives are awesome. Yeah, an arm around them. Darling, I know that you, you don't want to follow Jesus. And I know that you, you we're not your favorite people. But I'm telling you, we still love you. And we'll always be there for you. And gosh, when I was running, bringing home the prodigals, I ran it once in Australia. And a young man came up to me. He said, I was a prodigal. I wanted to go back to my parents. They lived on a big farm. And he said, I began walking up the road to the farm. It was a mile up the track to the to the farmhouse, very isolated. He said, I hadn't seen them for a number of years. And I get there and I see the lights on in the house, so I'm glad of that. And I knock the door and I see the curtains twitch. And he said, well, I'll answer the door. So I knock again. And then my father opens it and he just looks at me. And I say, Dad, it's it's me, your son. And my father said, uh, I, I have no son. Oh. And he closed the door. And what we're not looking for, some I think some parents are afraid that because their kids are living a lifestyle that that is not biblical or they believe is wrong, that if we show them love and kindness and acceptance, that our kids will think we're condoning that lifestyle. But of course we're not. If I, if we don't say another word from now to day, we die. Our kids, not we, we believe. You know, that's that's in the bag. No, our job, particularly when they're adults, is to still show love where possible, acceptance. It doesn't mean we agree with their lifestyle, everything they're doing, but that love, that that father's love. You think the mm -hmm. father of the prodigal son, and Jesus told that story, flipping heck, he, do you think he agreed with it? No, of course he didn't. When he flung his arms around that boy, he had no reassurances that that kid was going to change. Just his incredible welcome home. Yeah, going back to words of affirmation and praising our kids. I mean, I can relate to that because I just have some memories of, now my parents did affirm us, but I definitely, you, you cling on to a lot of those negative words that are spoken over you. And, and sometimes they're e more easily remembered than the praises. And part of that may be because they're dished out more often, but it's a good reminder for me and something that we do around the table, particularly at birthdays is just have everybody at our table go around and say something they love or appreciate about the person um, who we're celebrating. Mm. And it is amazing to watch the face of the person and just the countenance of the person who you're speaking life over there. You can't not be happy. I mean, no. you know what I'm saying? Like their countenance changes to hear their siblings and their mom and their dad say what they love and appreciate about them. And it's been an excellent practice because it's so visible. Let me tell you two quick stories. Um, we speak often at a large Christian festival in the United Kingdom. 
And my colleague, Catherine Hill, was speaking there some time ago. And she was talking about just what you've said, the power of praise. And the woman came up to her and she was crying. She said, I, I've made a terrible mistake with my daughter. I think she's about 10 years old. She said, I've got two very compliant children, but, but she's driving me crazy. And her, her name is Grace. So we call her Disgrace because she's so naughty. And she said, I know that's wrong now. I've heard what you've said, and I'm going to change that. And the following year, we went back again, and this woman came running up to her. And she said, everything's changed. And this little girl was there, actually, with a big smile on her face. Everything changed when we began to change. Do you know what? But generally, you can't change somebody else, but you can change yourself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we change, other people change. But the, the other thing that happened to me on the part of words uh, happened yesterday. My daughter was telling me about a neighbor of hers. I know him called Ken. And Ken is in his 70s, but he's got Parkinson's disease very oh, yeah. badly. And he shakes a lot and he's bent. But he goes to a local part, um, Parkinson's group. And he said there was a an elderly lady there called Susan. And her husband has just died. And last week in the group, she said, you know what? I don't want to live anymore. I, I just want to die and go to be with him. I, I don't want to live anymore. And and Ken said to her, oh, Susan, we would miss you so much. You are so special. And Susan said, really? And Ken said, yes. And Susan said, well, I think I'll have a piece of cake. And I love it. That's the power of words. Oh, it's a really good reminder for me and maybe someone who is listening where, I mean, just in a total you don't have prodigals, but maybe you have teenagers and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and teenagers, you know, they're just grumpy a lot. Um, and it can feel personal, honestly. I mean, this is me speaking as a parent of a teenager that I have to remind myself, this is not personal. They're just, they're going through a bit of a phase, you know, yeah. they're tired, but it can be so easy to slip into. You got to get up in the morning. You got to, you know, you blah, 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 just, nagging them to death and that's yeah. hard not to do rob <laughs> oh absolutely somebody said to me years ago they said it was a psychologist he said i i believe when a boy or girl hits 13 hormonal changes occur in their body which cause them to blast into outer space they stop <laughs> communicating they just grunt at you he said my advice to the parents of teenagers just get them through yeah and normally when they're about 21 22 you'll start getting signals from outer space they're still alive <laughs> <laughs> and most of them land. But it can be hard. A, a woman wrote to me the other day. She said, my heart is breaking. My 13-year-old, he used to be so close. He, he'd yeah. come up to me. He'd, he'd come close to me on the set. He'd kiss me. Now he treats me as though he's just discovered me on the bottom of his shoe. He, yep. He's rude <laughs> to me. And it's hurtful. It and is. it is hurtful. And it's not to say we need to let them be rude to us. But I think, as you say, we need to also understand it's a phase. And they're trying to find their way, uh, uh, their identity. Mm -hmm. uh, I said to a mum the other day, you know, the only, the, your son's trying to find his way in the world with people of the opposite sex. The only problem is the only woman he's ever really loved and still does love is his mother. Mm -hmm. But he's trying to move away from you and find an independence. And that's hard on both of you. And it, it, is. And it is. Yeah, it's heartbreaking a bit, but... <laughs> But we got to power through. We got to keep loving them and affirming them as best as we can, for sure. Well, talk to me about this, because another thing when it comes to prodigals that you've said is we need to be sure when they come home that they encounter the father and not the brother, the elder brother. 
Yeah. Well, the spirit of the elder brother is very strong in my country, in the United Kingdom, and it's very strong in your country, mm -hmm. in the USA. The spirit of the elder brother would would say, can I still smell smoke on your clothes? Are you still drinking? Those aren't the first questions. Those things might need to be dealt with. Uh, but but first of all, there is the, the welcome home. And, and, you know, Amber, we get so screwed up about certain things. Um, but cult, Christian cultures in different countries have, have different tick boxes, different check boxes. My friend is the theologian, Artie Kendall, Dr. Artie Kendall. And he said to me some time ago, he said, you know, Robert, when the German Christians saw the American Christians with all their gold and finery, they were so shocked, they dropped their cigars in their beer. Now, I'm not saying that you should either have golden finery or cigars or beer. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is that in some cultures, it's all different. But in we get into our particular culture where we don't, whatever, listen to rock music, wear this, have tattoo or, or do you know, I remember when, when Lloyd was 16, he wanted to have a tattoo. I didn't want him to have a tattoo. Mm -hmm. but he got one, some Chinese letters on his shoulder here. Um, and, and he was scared to tell me, but he told his mother and his mother told me. But I think any day now he's got to tell me because we'll be showering for a soccer game or something. So one Tuesday morning, one winter's morning, it was dark. He comes into my bathroom and he says, Dad, I've got something I want to tell you. I say, what is that, son? He said, I've had a tattoo, some Chinese letters on my shoulder. I said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, I <laughs> thought you might say more than that. But what am I going to do? Am I going to tear his arm off? Anyway. Whatever you make of that, I've got bigger battles than that coming down the road. So I'm not going to have a massive fight over that anyway. I got revenge because a, a, a year later, a friend visited our home who spoke perfect Mandarin and explained to Lloyd that, in fact, the letters did not spell what he was told, which was hero, and in fact spelled the word wardrobe. And so I think <laughs> there's, there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. And I think of a woman now, she was in a big church and a woman approached her and said, Madam, may I tell you that your daughter ought not to be wearing tight jeans like that in church. And this woman said, Madam, thank you for saying that. But a couple of things, really. Number one, it's surprising that God told you that before he told me. And secondly, this is not my daughter. It's my son. It's true he needs a haircut. But all the time we're judging other people. We, you know, and we're and some we got to stop doing that. I remember a girl in the United Kingdom. I don't know if you have these in the USA. She said to me, a church leader's wife came up to me and said, "Do you know what, Jacqueline? Godly women don't wear Doc Martin boots." Now we we no, but it's spaghetti straps here. Yes, we've done that to kids. Oh, it's it's awful. We've created, literally created prodigals, not over big stuff that matters to God. Over clothing. Silly stuff. And style. You know, mm -hmm. If they're if they're dressing inappropriately or that's different, but but just fashion items sometimes. Yeah. It's it's yeah. And that's it's a sad. sadness. We are literally then creating prodigals. Mm. And we have a little checkbox as to as to as to what makes a prodigal. And and I, I put in my book the belief that we've made prodigals of some who never ever were. Mm. You know what I was doing I was doing the tour bringing on the prodigals, and a, a pastor told me an incredible story. He said a hell's angel was uh, dared to come to his church by his friends, 
He said he had long, greasy hair by early 20s. He said he had enough ironmongery in his face to open a small hardware shop. And on his uh, knuckles here, he had an expletive. Uh, I, w I won't tell you what it was, but it was four <laughs> letters there and, and you there. That was his statement of the world. Mm -hmm. And and he came and he sat right in the front row. Unfortunately for him, that church allocates certain seats to certain people to welcome. And he got himself in Marge Staples area. Marge is 90 years old. Marge doesn't have the energy these days to argue about whether the worship team used the old green hymn book or modern stuff. She doesn't care whether the building committee built it this way around or that way around. She just wants to love people. And she says, oh, young man, come here. Let me hug you. It's so lovely to see you in church. And as she's holding him, he starts to cry. In fact, he doesn't stop crying until the preacher finishes speaking. He gave his life to Christ that night. Six weeks later, a consultant plastic surgeon in that church gave him a skin graft to remove the tattoos. He had to, because the kid was offending people. He was lifting his arms in worship. And you know what? <laughs> I want the spirit of Marge Staples. I want to yeah. see beyond all the silly stuff and just my culture and look to the, to the heart. Jesus always got in trouble over who he was sitting by. Always. He sat by people that the religious people said he shouldn't sit by. When I was in California uh, doing the prodigals, uh, uh, somebody told me that in their church, uh, a young guy came in barefoot and uh, a man in a black suit and a white shirt and a black tie, big Bible said, you can't come in here without any shoes on, young man. This is the house of God. And as he did, an even older man came out of the shadows, one of the founders of that church. And he too had a big black Bible and a black suit and a collar and tie. Mm. And he sat down and he took his shoes off and it took him a long time undoing the laces because he had arthritis and then he took his socks off and he said he can sit by me that's we need that spirit yeah yeah and i mean i think about as we close out here um young people who do end up becoming prodigals a lot of times as a result of us doing the checklist thing and I feel like I try to fight against that even now because my kids are in a Christian school, which I'm grateful for, but there are definitely some legalistic rules that I struggle with because I don't want that to be what they associate with Christ likeness. Mm. Um, and so do you have any advice for parents who are on that end of the spectrum where we want to keep open communication and continue to communicate with our kids that these are rules that are put in place by an organization or a school or whatever. And you don't always have to associate that with the love of Christ. Yeah, I think it's important that they see the difference. So for example, uh, uh, schools may make various rules about clothing or or jewelry or... Uh, Haircuts. Yeah, sorry about I said, or haircuts. Yeah, haircuts. There we go. So so all that kind of stuff. And and kids, I think, need to understand part of becoming uh, an adult is that you, you're in organization. You simply have to keep the rules. Um, and that's, that won't kill them. Sometimes, you know, if you're in a job, you have to keep the rules. If you're in an army, you have to keep the rules. You may not always right. agree with the rules. So, But don't confuse that with Jesus. Do you know, I, I think if, if we're going to get our kids through the long haul, 
we've got to get them ready for three big disappointments that are coming their way. Get them mm. ready for it. Number one, disappointment with themselves. They will feel they let God down sometimes. And you know the funny thing, Amber? Some of our prodigals have got a keener sense of sin than people who stay in the pews. That's they true. know they're not living the life they should, and they can't play the game. So, so they kind of walk away from the local church. Sometimes you've got to say, look, sometimes you will feel you've let God down. Remember the forgiveness of Christ. He mm -hmm. died for you. Remember, whatever you do, you can always come home. I've said that to my kids. Secondly, disappointment with others. Their heroes will let them down. Their heroes will fall. You know, there are some great pastors, some television, they'll fall and they'll think, well, why? you've got to get them ready for, or, or people in school or teachers will, will treat them badly. And, and you've got to get ready for disappointment with other people. And then lastly, sometimes you've even got to get ready for disappointment with God because they'll pray for their best friend, whatever your theology of healing is, to be made well from cancer. And they'll believe their friend was well. And then they'll cry at a graveside. And somehow you've got to deal. You've got to deal with those things and, and say those things are coming down the track and get them ready. But but above all, let them know that they are greatly loved. You know, the religious leaders came to the disciples and said, um, why does your master eat with people like that? Mm -hmm. Jesus could have answered that with a theological treatise, but he didn't. He told them three stories. One of a shepherd who counted the sheep in 98, 99. 99 is pretty good on a cold winter's night in the Judean hills, but not good enough for this shepherd. He's out looking for the sheep lost away from home. And then he told a story of a woman who lost a coin at home. And finally, the story of two boys. And one was lost away from home. And one was lost at home. The parable of the prodigal son or daughter. I remember studying English literature years ago and the professor who didn't have any faith of her own said, I believe it is the greatest short story ever told. Hmm. And I agree with her. Hmm. Thank you so much, Rob. If anyone um, wants to learn more about the work that you're doing through your organization, Care for the Family, um, where can they find that? On the web, careforthefamily.org.uk. Um, my book, Bringing Home the Prodigals, if if they can't afford anything they see there, drop us a line. We'll gladly mail it to you free of charge. So um, if we can help, we will. Thank you so much for your time today and just how generously you share the love of God. I'm grateful. No, Amber, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. So much wisdom. And Rob communicates it so well. Remember to share this episode with a friend. And if you decide to purchase Rob's book, Bringing Home the Prodigals, I would be grateful if you would use the link in the show notes. I earn a small payout at no cost to you. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.